Today on CityCast Philly, it's the Friday News Roundup. We're talking about why SEPTA Transit Police went on strike, the leadership controversy at the University of Pennsylvania, and why the Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust, known as Preet, owner of several area malls, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. It's Friday, December 15th. I'm Trinina Ree, and here's what Philly's talking about. Joining me this week is Tom Fitzgerald, transportation reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Tom, welcome back to the show. Hey, Trinay, thanks. It's good to be back. Good. Ryan Mulligan, higher education reporter at the Philadelphia Business Journal. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hi, Trinay. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. And Paul Schwedelson, real estate reporter at the Philadelphia Business Journal. Welcome back to the show, Paul. Thanks, Trinay. Okay, usually I start with an icebreaker, but there's been so much news this week, we're gonna get right into it. Tom, SEPTA police, 170 police officers who protect our city's buses, subways, trolleys, went on strike on Wednesday evening. Tom, why did these officers walk off the job? The the reason is the terms of their contract are not the exact same as that given to the Transport Workers Union 234, the operators, and they want that. They say they were promised it. And then more broadly, um, like a lot of strikes, it's about pride and and like a feeling that you're not respected and and you want to get some respect. And one way they would get that is to be, uh, to have the, the terms of the contract tweaked a little bit so that so that it was exactly the same and, and the raises came more quickly, like TWU. It's a very, I don't know, it's not quite like, uh, what, is, what is the musical? Can you hear the people sing? Les Miserables? Les Miserables! It, it's like you, you try to explain that. I try to like ask questions about it and get explanations and go, huh? But I think like in a lot of ways, strikes are often about pride, really, and wanting respect. So, you know, a lot of resentments build up over the years and they feel undervalued. But I, I think that at the bottom, it's sort of like, you know, police work is, well, we all know it's really hard. Let's, let's face it. And, you know, they, they want what they consider better treatment for, you know, going down on the tracks and apprehending suspects. And Tom, how is SEPTA covering their shifts during the strike? That's, uh, yeah, they have a plan and it's sort of developed over time because The transit police went out on strike a couple other times, 2019 and 2012. So what they got is all the supervisory officers, the 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 sergeants, captains, et cetera, et cetera, and the people in the office are on extended shifts working patrolling, and then um, they're getting mutual aid from like Philadelphia police, 
and other departments around the area. And uh, I believe SEPTA will eventually have to pay them for those services. But their, their contention is, SEPTA's, that is, that the commuter rider isn't going to really notice any difference because there will be police responding. That's good. Do we know how soon the strike could end? I can't imagine it would go too long. One reason might be political. Most people in the city are very concerned about crime and, you know, SEPTA has its has had its issues. So people are a little bit more sympathetic to the police now than they have been in the last three years. And, and this is happening when um, the state legislature on Thursday, they were about to take up and pass a bill that would uh, establish a special prosecutor for crimes on SEPTA. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of things that politically, it's not in SEPTA's interest to like have it go too long. And the police themselves, you know, it's, they don't have, they're not a large group. They don't have a huge strike fund. And and it could, if it goes long, would become a hardship. What stood out to me is the reporting from the Inquirer that said that SEPTA is actually known to be one of the most strike prone large transit systems in the country. What's going on there? Yeah, they just, they have a history of, really taking hard lines in um, negotiations for all their labor contracts with all their bargaining units. And it gets contentious. And Philly transit unions have been willing to just strike more so than most or any other transit agency. So they got like, like the regional rail struck for three months to maybe almost four in the early 80s. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it's just sort of a it's sort of the philosophy is like we're a public agency, we don't have a ton of money. We we're going to pinch pennies and we're going to be hold the line for the rate, you know, the fair payer and all that. That's their philosophy. Shifting gears, higher education also was a hot topic this week, especially with the resignation of the University of Pennsylvania President Elizabeth Liz McGill. You know, this particular story has gotten a lot of attention locally and nationally after McGill testified before Congress on December 5th about whether certain speech violates Penn's code of conduct. This testimony had a lot of people calling for her to step down. And we also saw the fate of other Ivy League school presidents come into question. So, Ryan, sort of give us the backstory on this. Why did Liz McGill resign from Penn? Yeah, so really this story dates back to September. The university hosted on campus a Palestine Rights Literature Festival Donors and alumni um, said that this festival hosted known anti-Semitic speakers to campus, brought them to campus. And in the wake of that, uh, donors and alumni, um, some really big names on on Wall Street and the business world spoke out against it. Um, prior to the, the festival, um, definitely want to note that um, Liz McGill did, you know, condemn anti-Semitism and some of the speakers on on campus, but they still hosted the the conference and 
in, in the wake of that, she got about a lot of backlash. And that's kind of really where the story starts was October. Um, we heard Mark Rowan, who's Apollo Global Management CEO, a really big name on Wall Street. He went on CNBC and, and called for um, Elizabeth McGill's resignation. So, Ryan, can you actually explain to us who Mark Rowan is? He's a UPenn alum, right? Right. Yeah. So UPenn alum has donated $50 million to the university, um, if not more. That was in one gift. Um, so he's kind of used to on Wall Street speaking out. And, and if um, some of these Wall Street bankers, if, if they don't hear what they like or, or see what they want to see happening, then um, they'll speak with their money. And I think that's really what we saw um, with these donors saying they'll, they'll close their checkbooks. And they're, they were really employing kind of Wall Street tactics to academia. So you kind of have that those two butting heads. There's It's two different worlds, really. Yeah. Um, so we, we saw that. So this is all, again, this is all in the backdrop of the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. What have you heard on campus? What's been the reaction from students, faculty, and staff? Yeah, it's interesting. I think faculty, um, there was a group, and even as, as recently as this week, kind of speaking out, like I said, it's it's academia and kind of the business world butting heads. They have they kind of live by two completely different principles, and free, free speech was really is held in such high regard, obviously everywhere, but academia, that's, that's such a core of um, how it operates. And I think faculty in a lot of ways wanted to back Liz McGill and, and support um, and not give in to kind of these these big business billionaires. So I think that's kind of really what we heard. And at, But at the same time, Penn employs such a diverse range of students and, and faculty with a diverse political views. And, and so you did have some faculty as well that were calling for McGill's resignation. So it's, it's such an interesting university because yeah. it's... It, there's so much diversity. And um, I know Jewish students definitely did not feel safe. I've heard that over and over. And so that's that's a really scary thing that um, shouldn't get lost in all this. Now, Ryan, can you remind us how Liz McGill responded to all of this pressure from Penn donors? Yeah, so I, it's like I said, it was um, a, a very public back and forth. Um, she would put out a statement, and I think kind of her her big response was um, laying out this anti-Semitism action plan to to combat it on campus, which included appointing a task force and and people to really take another look at um, how the school will respond to anti-Semitism on campus. Um, that was early November. Um, I think some people saw it as as kind of just your your typical steps to take um, when there is problems on campus. So that was kind of what she, that's what she did. It was it was an action plan, and she committed to helping Jewish students feel safe on campus. I think we still heard after that 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 they didn't. So that was the steps she took. Now, who has Penn named as the interim president? Yeah, so it's J. Larry Jameson. Um, he's the longest serving dean at the university. He was the dean of the Perlman School of Medicine. He's been there since 2011. Sound, from what I've heard, really held in, in high regard among faculty and, and staff. Um, he's kind of looked at to be this stabilizing force. Um, it's, it's such a rocky time. And I kind of think back to what happened at Temple in the spring. Right. Um, they needed someone to, to stabilize what was really a tumultuous time. And so they're looking at, at someone who is a veteran, same as Temple did with Joanne Epps, um, looking at someone who's 
been at the university for a while and knows how it operates and has the respect of, of the board and um, the faculty that they work with. So I think that's really what um, they're looking at him to do. Now, with an interim president, when could the school actually begin the search for the next permanent president? It's interesting. I, I talked to a number of um, search executives, um, Junior Von Selnick, uh, for one, who's put people in some really high places in, in Philadelphia and nationally. And that was my question. How long will it take to really get a permanent president? And I think what's really important with naming the interim is that it gives them time to, to work this out. I think they haven't laid out a timeline yet. I, I can't tell you how long it'll take, but I think just in past, it's, it's been about a year. I, I think maybe they'll try to have one in place for the start of next school year, but that's just my guess right now. Um, Ryan, it, it seems that this story is also about, like you mentioned before, the ongoing work around keeping students safe, free speech, when a university needs to make statements, things like that. Is the university going to work on those particular issues? What has the university said about how it plans to handle controversial issues? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, and that's why you need someone. This interim was it was very um, crucial because um, you need someone that that acts quick. I think what I heard was Liz McGill was very well respected, but at times didn't act quickly enough or decisively enough. When you're at Penn, you're under a national microscope, and you need those statements to be bold and and decisive. And um, it's it's tough to do, but I think you're getting national media attention and you have to make those decisions quickly. I can't tell you exactly how they'll, they'll make those decisions moving forward, but I think that's really what they want from an interim is, is someone who will be decisive and um, will have the respect of the backing of the board in, in whatever they say um, in putting out those public statements because it is, it's it's a public-facing job and um, that's that's the tough part of it. Yeah. Paul, your story caught my eye this week, too. The Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust, known as Preet, the company that owns some of our area malls, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection for, what, the second time within three years? Paul, why is this a big deal? Well, it really has to do with the corporate structure of Preet and and the company and how they're going to go about their business. It's not going to affect malls on a operational day-to-day basis, you know, like you or me walking into a mall and doing And especially our... during holiday shopping right yeah, now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. At least, but that's their that's their plan. Like you said, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection for the second time in, in three years. And ultimately, their plan is to emerge from bankruptcy in February. And they would, at that point, actually, they plan to take the company private. So... There's a lot of moving parts, uh, you know, going through this bankruptcy process and, and a lot of money moving around in different places. And they had more than a billion dollars in debt that came due, you know, just a few days ago. So that really is the genesis of a lot of this. But if their plan goes through, if they follow it the way they they want to, it's not necessarily going to affect the, the day-to-day operations, but it has a big effect, obviously, on um, like I said, that corporate structure and, and taking the company private would, you know, be a big change for them. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a company that people have been kind of following for a long time. And, um, you know, the last few years have just been dealing with a lot of a lot of challenges. 
Yeah, American malls have been kind of like fluctuating for quite some time. Can you just remind us what malls does this company own? A few big ones locally are the Cherry Hill Mall, as well as the Plymouth Meeting Mall. Um, And they also previously had a 50% stake in the fashion district um, in Center City, um, which they're now giving up their stake and and walking away from that. which will also have different uh, ramifications, but um, they own, a, a, I think, ni- around 19 uh, total, um, and that's spread throughout the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, but obviously being a Philadelphia-based company, um, a whole bunch are, are in the region. Now, you know, you just said that the company gave up ownership of its stake in the fashion district. What does that mean for the downtown mall? So again, I don't think that this will necessarily affect the day-to-day operations, but Maserich uh, was the company that was the other 50%. Now Maserich is going to take over that full control. But it's also important to keep in mind that even with a 50% share previously, Maserich was the the primary decision maker and, and the one really leading the charge. So Maserich already had a, a big say on that property and obviously there's a lot of attention on that with the proposed 76ers arena um, at that site so um, the sixes have already said it that pre-filing for bankruptcy has no effect on the arena plans and mace rich was already the one driving those decisions uh, regarding the fashion district all right that was paul schwadelson real estate reporter at the philadelphia business journal ryan mulligan higher education reporter at the philadelphia business journal and tom fitzgerald transportation reporter at the philadelphia inquirer thank you all so much for joining me on citycast philly thank you thank you for having me glad to be here and have a good day it's time for the tip of the week where we share a life hack for living in philly For all the children who've been on Santa's good list this year, I heard that he's making a special trip to see his favorite fans in Philly this weekend. According to NBC10, you can catch Santa now until Christmas Eve at the Fashion District, but parents should sign up for a photo slot online. You can take a selfie with Santa and the Grinch down at the shops at Liberty Place tomorrow, December 16th from 12 to 5 p.m. only for 10 bucks. All proceeds will go to the Morris Animal Refuge. And this is also a dog friendly event. So bring the pups. And how about breakfast with Santa and his friends? That's happening at City Winery on 10th and Filbert Streets tomorrow, December 16th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. I hope you guys have fun. If you have a tip of the week, we'd love to hear from you too. Call or text us at 215-259-8170. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. Our executive producer is Laura Benchoff. Our producers are Abby Fritz and Elizabeth Kama. Our Hey Philly newsletter editor is Joel Wolfram. And our host is me, Trinae Nuri. Music is by Philly's own Interminable, with additional music from All the Kimonos and James Weldon. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Philly. 
We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend and be safe, y'all. Bye.